We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's with me today. The podcast today presented by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC. And they will match your first deposit halfway up to $1,000. You got to let them know uh, by using my promo code KevinDC to get this offer. Uh, you're not going to get $1,000. They're not going to hand you 250 if you deposit 500 but they're going to give you half of your deposit to bet with. So uh, essentially, you know, you deposit 1000 bucks, you'll get an extra $500 into your account uh, to wager with. They've got some rules around that about how long it takes to get that 500 out. You've got to wager it um, honestly, but use my promo code KevinDC at mybookie.ag. They've got everything available at mybookie.ag. They've got a sports book so you can bet on the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball, um, tennis, if you're into that, golf. They've got a casino or they've got every possible table game. Uh, they've got a horse book. Um, and in the sports book, plenty of NFL future odds. In many ways, you ought to just sign up if you're not even a big better, just so you've got a place to go check out some of the different offerings. It gives you an idea of what the odds makers are thinking as it relates to Super Bowl odds or NFC Championship odds or by division. You know, right now, the NFC East, the Cowboys are plus 110. Washington's plus 210, so they're the second favorite. And then the Giants now have moved in to the third spot at plus 350 on my bookie, and the Eagles are the long shot in the division at plus 450. I've mentioned this before, but it's basically the tightest fit of any of the divisions from first place to last place in terms of the odds. Very interestingly, um, they have posted the NFC North odds now. These were not available a few days ago. There must be a growing feeling that Aaron Rodgers will play for Green Bay. They are the favorite um, at minus 170 to win the NFC North. Anyway, uh, mybookie, mybookie.ag, use Kevin DC um, as your promo code to get your first deposit matched halfway up to $1,000. Just want to mention, as we always do, subscribe. It doesn't cost you anything. It helps us. Whichever podcast platform you're listening uh, to us on, if you have the chance to subscribe, it really does help us. And if you can rate us and review us in particular, and on Apple Podcasts, it's very easy. 
Um, five stars. If you're listening to us on the website or somewhere else and you go to that purple icon on your iPhone, if you've got an iPhone that says podcasts and you download um, uh, or you search the show and you listen to the show that way, it will give you right off the bat uh, a five-star rating opportunity. Rate us five stars, please. It'll take you two seconds to do it, and it'll give you the opportunity to write a review. And if you can do a one-sentence, I love the show, I listen to it all the time, something like that. Um, love Tommy, love Cooley, love all the different things um, that you guys do on the show. That would be great. That helps us as well. And I appreciate, by the way, all of you who listened to the show yesterday and really enjoyed Mark Stern. Um, Tommy, I had Mark on the show yesterday, he's doing this new podcast for um, the USTA, and we ended up spending 45 minutes just talking about how he got into the business, how he ended up being the producer of Tony's show, how he ended up creating his alter ego, Nigel, and then we talked a lot about the stories of the three of us on the sports fix, including the Christopher Walken, Joe White, Natalie Wood (laughs) episode, which, by the way, it's coming up on 10 years. It happened in November 10 years ago, and I, I started to Google it as I had Mark on. All of those stories that were written and then all of the follow-up stories, they're all out there. Remember, that thing blew up into a national story. Poor Joe, rest his soul. Uh, he thought rest, it was real. Rest in peace, Joe White. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I had to explain to law enforcement that I wasn't part of any of that. <laughs> I, yeah. I, they, I, was, I was on my Wyomania trip when all that happened. I didn't remember that. Okay, so you yes. weren't there. It was, just, was, it was just walking and cheering. Yeah. Yes. Do you, yeah. do you remember how many people thought it was legitimately Christopher Walken every week with us? Well, he was so good at it. I mean, and we pulled it off, you know, so well. I mean, it was it was just something that people look forward to so much. It was crazy. Uh, Christopher you Walken. You know, remember he had the Winnebago that he would park <laughs> outside of FedEx Field? <laughs> and I just remember... The Walken Winnebago? I remember so much of the feedback we got on it. I mean, I'm not going to say that the majority of people were duped, but 40% at least thought it was legitimately Christopher Walken, and they were so pleased that he was a Redskin fan, and he could talk about, you know, the upcoming game and whether or not, you know, Clinton Portis was going to have a good game and how disappointed he was, you know, in, uh, in, in Rex Grossman's performance or whatever it was. It was just, it was weird. But anyway, um, what we will do, and I've written it down, and hopefully I will remember this, um, I put it into my phone as a reminder, but before the 10-year anniversary of that show, I think the three of us will get together on the podcast and talk about the specifics of that. We did that a lot yesterday, but man, that was um, every network in America and abroad calling the station to get a copy of what Christopher Walken said about oh, that fateful 1981 night with Natalie Wood oh, and Robert I mean, Wagner. Look at- I mean, it was on Associated Press. That's that's the standard, the gold standard for news. I can I tell you something. I think, and boy, you know, you better be discerning in this day and age. I think the Associated Press is still very close to the gold standard for news. Okay, uh, actual unbiased news. 
because you don't necessarily get any unbiased news in 90% of the spots you used to get it in. I actually, you know, I've got the Associated Press, follow it on Twitter. I get a lot of news that way. I think it's typically really good and without bias. I think you're getting the straight stuff from the Associated Press. I feel that way to a certain extent about the Wall Street Journal, too, at least the news part of the journal. I think the op-ed tends to lean and be a bit conservative, Um, but I think news-wise, those are the two places I think you can count on. That's just my opinion. But I, I don't know what people in your business think of the Associated Press now. You know, I agree with you on AP. And, uh, I mean, you know, the, the people who work for AP will tell you, proudly so, you know, don't believe it until you read it in Associated Press. Now, this wasn't the case. <laughs> no, no. It is in this situation. <laughs> right. But, but generally, I agree with you. AP is so, but you know what's amazing? I'm reading this book now. I just finished reading this book called The Brass, The Brass Check. It's written by a former writer, from the turn of the 20th century, a writer, politician, activist named Upton Sinclair. Yeah, I, I, know I don't know if name. you ever. Yeah, I've, okay. I've heard that name. Well, he wrote this. He wrote this book. He wrote Democrat lots of books. Of, huh? He was a socialist, actually. Okay. Well. Uh, and uh, in the movie Mank, he ha- he he plays a big part in that story uh, because uh, the Hollywood uh, studio chiefs get together and create all kinds of propaganda films against him when he was running for governor of California in the early 30s. But he wrote this book about journalism, American journalism, in the early 20th century, and he just roasted Associated Press. This wasn't always the case, that they were the gold standard. In the early part of newspapering, oh, my God, they were so corrupt. Well, almost mostly, most of journalism was was corrupt. If you have issues with it now, you should have seen what it was like in the early 20th century. It was it was unbelievable. But well, I mean, AP, isn't there this ter- coming from that? Isn't coming there from that? Yeah, coming from that to being basically the place to look for you know objective, uh, accurate reporting. I mean, they they came a long way from the early days. You know. But, you know, that's such an interesting subject to me, maybe not everybody, um, sort of the history of our media. I mean, you and I both loved the museum, um, which was a phenomenal museum uh, downtown. And, you know, by the way, one of the only museums that actually charged you to get in, whatever. Um, I actually, you've made me interested in this book because... When you think about journalism, and I don't know if I'm going to be correct on this, but there was this term called yellow journalism, which was essentially, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, a term that basically described lots of biased journalism. It was not necessarily, um, you know, using today's term, I guess, fact-checked. Uh, back back then. And to me, I have this sense that you said that this was a book written in the early 20th century. Yes. About, it was about journalism, about journalism at that time. And, and Uh, yeah, it's an interesting read. It's an easy read because most of the book are short chapters, like self-contained chapters. So it's the kind of book you can pick up and up and down, put up and down real easy. 
Uh, and I'm just kind of fascinated with Upton Sinclair ever since I saw the movie Mank. I mean, the movie There Will Be Blood, yeah, uh, which is a great movie, that's based on one of his books called Oil. Upton Sinclair wrote a book called Oil, and that's what that movie is kind of based on. Uh, that And he's buried, he's buried in Rock Creek Cemetery. I don't know why he's buried in D.C., but that's, that's where he's buried. I found that out huh. as well. Uh, because I, I'm always kind of interested in visiting famous people's graves. I can't tell you why. <laughs> you and Jimmy Patsos, uh, for some reason. I just, I just am. But, uh, so yeah, AP is, I agree with you 100% about AP, uh, in terms of now, the, you know, the, uh, a level of confidence in what you're reading, I think is high with Associated Press. But in the early days, man, they, they, but, they were one bad I guess, outfit. I guess one of the things I'm getting at, and again, I don't know if this is true or not, but we've almost come in many ways full circle from the book that you're reading that, you know, it was very hard to sort of identify what was legitimate news based on fact. And then we obviously had a period of time, I'm assuming, in this country where, you know, most major newspapers were considered to be legitimate and unbiased, even though, you know, they had a political bent in their op-ed sections in particular. We know that the Washington Post has always had that over the years um, and other uh, newspapers, mostly liberally um, slanted in terms of, of op-eds. And then there are some newspapers that have mostly conservative uh, writers, like your newspaper for for many years. Um, right. But I, I, in some ways, I wonder, have we basically come full circle and are we back to where we were when this guy wrote the book? Well, no. And here's the difference. Uh, and I'm just dealing with the credible uh, journalism, uh, credible newspapers, as opposed to uh, the lunatic fringe on, on, on the internet. Uh, here's the difference now. People, if people have an issue with bias, uh, particularly liberal bias in the media these days, it's generally because they believe these are the opinions they're reading of liberal journalists. Back in the early 20th century, what you were reading were the orders handed down from the conservative uh, business tycoon publishers like uh, like her, like Hearst like Hearst yes yeah yes I mean yeah, I mean back then they basically journalists did not have the power to kind of infer their opinion in stories because the publisher wanted this and what the publisher wanted the publisher got and most publishers still today even are conservative they're not liberal you know I mean this is the dichotomy of the business. If you believe most reporters are liberal, and that's probably the case, most conser- most publishers are conservative, you know. And and uh, I'd be surprised if you find editorials, except for this this past election, a lot of editorials from newspapers around the country will wind up endorsing Republican candidates over Democratic candidates because that's the publisher talking. So that's the difference. Back then, it was the publisher that was dictating. Uh, what his interests were, and the reporters had to carry that out if they wanted to keep their job. Now, your, in, your, your conflict is more with the reporters who, are, who lead their opinions into their news stories. Okay. I, I take your word so for it. So that's the difference. Um, I don't know how we got sidetracked on this. 
that's okay. Oh, because we no, were because of Upton Sinclair. We're talking about Stern because of the right. book. Because of the book you're reading. Um. Oh, yeah. I just I uh, mentioned listen, I want, the AP. Yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to get back to something for for your uh, because of your ad uh, on uh, betting. Uh, the my bookie I spot. You, I think. Yes, I don't think. I think you must know this. I read this on Front Page Sports in April. Uh, in the state of Colorado, nine million people bet on table tennis. Nine million people bet on bet on table tennis. It's the fourth largest wager of any sport in the state. What are the top, What are the top three? I don't know what the other three are. In January. The total bet for table tennis was $12 million, more than any college football bowl game. There, I, well, that, that is surprising to me, table tennis. I mean, the only person that I've ever known that's known anything about table tennis, of course, is Dwight Schrute. Um, he's, his greatest heroes <laughs> are table tennis players. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't understand that. I'll, I'll tell you this, you know, Here's the one thing that comes to mind. First of all, I, I would assume that table tennis is popular somewhere in the world. Um, I, I'm going to guess Asia I don't or Russia. Um, it seems like when Dwight Schrute was ripping through all of his you know, table tennis heroes, they seem to be yeah. all Eastern European names, right? If yes, I recall. All of my heroes are table tennis players. Zoran Primorac, Jan Ovi Wagner, Wang Tao. George Rushkoff, and of course, Ashraf Helmi. I even have a life-size poster of Hugo Hoyam on my wall. And the first time I left Pennsylvania was to go to the Hall of Fame induction ceremony of Andre Gruba. When tennis first became, actual tennis, first became a sport that you could bet on, matches, there was a lot going on, man. Remember, there was a lot of sketchiness. There were a lot of investigations into fixes, into match throwing. You know, you know, in the early wild, wild west of some of these sports being made available, especially, Tommy, individual sports, where all you have to do is get to one person to influence the outcome. Team sports, much harder to fix individual sports when you're playing mano a mano um it all you got to do is get to one player like a golf tournament really doesn't matter although the golf matchups which you can bet um you know all you got to do is get to one golfer but i remember in the early days of betting on tennis there were a lot of issues and a lot of people early on probably made some really good money betting tennis when they knew a specific player was uh, was going to throw a match because he had to be, you know, he was in um, Budapest playing in a tournament, uh, at, but needed to get on a plane to be back in the U.S. to play the next tournament or to qualify for the next tournament, so he was going to throw his third round match. And there were people figuring that out early on. And I don't know, maybe there's something there with table tennis. I have no idea. That's a lot of money. I mean, the fourth largest bet sport? Crazy. Yeah. I uh, mean, I, well, there was just a, a tennis player arrested at the French Open for a uh, uh, Russian tennis player arrested for match fixing at 2020 French Open. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. The, the, yeah, for fixing at the 2020 French. So, no, it's at last year's French Open. Right. Uh, Which was played in the this fall. Guy, right. This guy was, uh, this, uh, this woman 
was charged with uh, match-fixing. Hmm. Uh, a Russian player who was suspected of match-fixing last year uh, was arrested just like a week ago during this year's French Open. Well, how about this so, story? And look it. Go ahead. Um, after, this is January 3rd, 2021. After a lengthy investigation, police have laid proceeds of crime charges. This is an international um, written story. Um, police have, uh, you know, have criminally charged an Australian table tennis player and brought down an international match-fixing syndicate in table tennis. Oh, so there you go. I, I don't know if the that mob is involved in, in ping pong. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the worst of all of these was, was highlight. Oh, I bet. The yeah, worst. sure. Oh, highlight. I mean, I mean, you know, I only went to highlight a couple of times because I knew. Yeah, in Florida where, where it was played because I knew I was getting screwed over somehow. And I just used to say, I wish I knew Spanish more so maybe I could pick up what the hell they were saying <laughs> to each other out, out, out on the court. But highlight was it's considered the worst of the worst when it comes to fixing and uh, you know matches and stuff. I, you ever been to a highlight? I have not. I it's mean, kind you, of fun to you, go to. You and I, one of those Super Bowl years in South Florida, we went and watched the Greyhounds one day. Yeah, re- we did. We went to Hollywood for the dog track. Yeah. yeah. Um, so on my bookie, you can bet table tennis. It's all a money line matched, you know, head to head match sport and as I'm looking through the names they appear to be 60% Eastern European that's what I would guess no Virgils in there anywhere I don't see any Virgils okay what aren't you a good table tennis player good (laughs) ping pong player no I mean I can play ping pong we we've had a ping pong table in all of our houses over the years, and, and they're, you know, it's like anything else when you have the, the thing in your house where you'll get on this run of like two weeks of playing, like everybody wants to play, and then the table goes dormant for like, you know, a year. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I mean, I love ping pong. I love ping pong. I, you know, I loved tennis. I don't anymore. There, I'll tell you, there's there are a couple of games that are that are becoming super popular. Paddle tennis has been popular for a while. Um, pickleball is becoming very popular. Believe um, me, I'm very familiar with pickleball. My wife, until she injured her knee, uh, played pickleball three or four times a week. Oh, that's great. I mean, it's a, it's a great she sport. She loved it. It's a great sport. I've noticed now a lot of it's being um, televised. Uh, CBS Sports Network has a bunch of it on television. Um, all right. Anyway, uh, let's get to some of the stories of the day. Anyone um, still out there? Anyone still there? Hopefully they are. Um, Let's get to Montez Sweat right after this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now 
and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Washington just finished up uh, this morning uh, their mandatory mini camp uh, with Ron Rivera speaking as we are doing the podcast. And one of the things he has said is that he learned from last summer when there was no real quarterback competition um, that uh, that what he learned is he wants to see one this summer says he'll create more game-like situations and maybe rotate guys to work with different groups. Am I missing any part of that? I'm reading from Kime right now. Do you have other people who have tweeted out? No, I think think that's right. Okay. Right, yeah. Yeah. He doesn't want backups to go in the games never having worked with the first unit. Okay. So so he's not necessarily saying a guy's going to win the job, but there are going to be... Uh, first-team opportunities for all three quarterbacks, apparently. Yeah. In 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 practice. You know, this is going to be... And uh, apparently, you know, so far in, in camp today, uh, you know, your boy, Ryan Fitzpatrick, is, is batting third in that lineup. He's had a couple of interceptions already. Ugly interceptions, from what I can gather on social media. And you know the pressure of minicamp. Well, Jordan Love uh, in Green Bay yesterday, I think, wowed people to the point where people were actually leaving that mandatory minicamp practice saying, Aaron who? That's how great he was. Did you see (laughs) the love coming from Green Bay yesterday for Jordan Love? Oh, my God. He's red hot. I mean, come on, people. I Look, I, God bless all the people that are on the beats of these teams league-wide that have to be there, that are now told in this day and age, I need you on social media to be tweeting out everything that's going on. Yeah. You know, people You're love right. this content. And I'm not – by the way, I'm not being critical. I mean, and I – I'm, no, not, I'm not I reading agree. it. I'm not reading it, but I, I occasionally will catch on my phone, you know, uh, somebody from Washington's uh, mandatory minicamp going uh, th- that uh, Taylor Heineke just evaded a pass rush, stepped up into the pocket, felt contact, but still was able to make a dime of a throw to Cam Sims for an eight-yard gain on the sidelines. Uh, Cam Sims, great job catching the ball and getting both feet in. I mean, they want content. Uh, it would be painful for me to do this. I, I will tell you that. And, and I'm, I, I know what they're being asked to do, and I would bet you all of these people are like, seriously, this is mini camp. Who cares? A lot of fans, I don't think it's the majority of fans personally, but a lot of fans are eating it up. As if it's significant in any way. I want to no, go. I think it's the majority of fans. I that don't eat this up. You do? Yeah, I think they. I think they want to be excited about anything. I mean, look, here's the accurate way to write about minicamp, and I understand why they can't do it this way. There's always something to write if somebody looks really bad. <sighs> but even that doesn't mean anything. You know? But still, I mean, you know, it, it's. I mean, I, I mean, looking good. In minicamp is nothing. Looking bad, maybe, might be a bit alarming, but looking good is no measure of anything. Are you concerned um, with the interceptions that Ryan Fitzpatrick threw today, people? You shouldn't be. Okay. By the way, 
he's going to throw interceptions in games this year. That's what yes, he does. He That's almost the guarantee. Um, uh, but hopefully he makes many more um, big plays uh, as well. I want to go back to the quarterback competition thing because I think one of the things that's interesting about this is I think this is one of these things that will be hard to prove when all is said and done. Um, meaning, I think when they play the Los Angeles Chargers on September, whatever date that is, um, Ryan Fitzpatrick will be the starting quarterback. I also think leading up to that, there will be a lot of discussion about like a quarterback competition. And maybe even for a brief moment in a preseason game when Taylor Heineke and or Kyle Allen gets reps with starters like late in the first quarter or or early in the second quarter, you're going to come on the podcast and say, see, I told you. It's a legitimate quarterback competition. I just don't think we're ever going to be able to prove this. I think it's one. Of, it's it's uh, it's a little bit like the Beck Grossman thing, which I told you that whole summer. There is no chance that John Beck is the starting quarterback. Zero chance. Even though they're telling you that this is an honest to goodness uh, quarterback competition, um, and. Anyway, it, there was no way to prove it one way or the other, other than what Mike told me many, you know, several years after the fact that Rex was their starter going in, that they had some high hopes for Beck, but that pretty much it turned out that he was, as I've always described him, the guy that looks great in layup lines. Um, he looks phenomenal in layup lines. Look at him behind well, that the back. Layup line, Scott. Reverse is now the dunk. quarterback. Uh, he's now the quarterback guru. <laughs> he's, he's, he's the guy who's training all these number one draft picks. You know what? Sometimes the best coaches are very mediocre to even less than You're mediocre right. players. And he might yes. be the perfect example yes, of that. They are. I guess my point is it's one of these things. We're going to get to the opener. Uh, Fitzpatrick's going to be the starter. If he doesn't get hurt or he doesn't shit the bed, he's going to be the starter for the entire season. And yet still some people are going to say he won a competition over the summer. He beat out Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen. Why? Well, because the coach told us that. No. Well, I still think that you're dismissing the interest that the coach has in Kyle Allen. I am I not. It's very possible that Kyle Allen, not Taylor Heineke, uh, still winds up being the starter. Uh, he would have to put on one impressive performance, a healthy impressive performance. But I still think that's feasible because the coach has a personal investment in Kyle Allen. I am not dismissing the coach's interest in Kyle Allen. I've said it all along, going back to last year, they really like Kyle Allen. They would not have traded a fifth-round pick for Kyle Allen unless they really wanted him here. They traded it because they were worried that someone else would trade for him. By the way, Bill Belichick and the Patriots, remember, I, I think it was Schefter Rappaport had the story after the fact that the Patriots were interested. Um, they didn't want to lose him. And there's no doubt in my mind that Scott Turner – in particular, would have started Kyle Allen from day one and would have never, ever given Dwayne even an opportunity. And if it had been up to him, they would have traded Dwayne, um, which would have been the right move um, when there was uh, some worth to Dwayne um, long before uh, the season ever started. 
I agree with you. I know they like Kyle Allen, but Kyle Allen's not going to start over Ryan Fitzpatrick. If they loved Kyle Allen so much and they were so confident in Kyle Allen being the starter this year um, and next uh, or even beyond, um, they would not have paid $10 million bucks for Ryan Fitzpatrick. They would have just gone out and maybe got Mitch Trubisky and said, let's have a legitimate competition between the three of you. Okay. We'll see. You want to talk about Montez Sweat? Uh, I don't like to talk about people who aren't vaccinated. You're vaccinated, of course. I'm vaccinated. I don't like to give people who aren't vaccinated the time of day. Well, guess what? You're going to do that today. Um, uh, <laughs> Montez Sweat yesterday, for those of you that missed it, and I'm assuming most of you did not, Montez Sweat uh, was asked questions after day two of minicamp. Um, and this is how the exchange went with reporter, um, and Montez Sweat. Hey Montez, what do you make of the way that the team is bringing in like vaccine experts and stuff to encourage people to get vaccinated? Like what, um, what do you kind of make of all that? I'm not a fan of it. I'm, uh, I probably won't, won't get vaccinated until, until, uh, got more facts and all that type of stuff, but no, I'm not a fan of it at all. What is your hesitation with getting the vaccine? If you don't mind me asking. Well, I mean, I haven't, I haven't caught, uh, I haven't caught COVID yet, so I don't mean, I don't see me treating the, I don't, I don't see me treating COVID until I actually get COVID. Thank you. I guess, you know, that's, that's obviously one of the big issues right now. You know, have you talked to the coaching staff about that? And, and you know, what's the messaging been like from the team? Well, I mean, obviously they want to, um, they want to, they want to, they want everybody to be vaccinated to, uh, to move more freely around the facility and around as with traveling and all that type of stuff. But I mean, everybody has their own beliefs and they are uh, entitled to their own decision. I want to start our conversation on this with that last part of of Montez Sweat's quote, which really was the one that I think people were um, most critical of and borderline laughed at and scoffed at, which was, quote, I haven't caught COVID yet, so I don't see me treating COVID until I actually get COVID, closed quote. Um, I am not, I'm not going to give him like the full benefit of the doubt, but I'm going to state my opinion before yours because I have a feeling what yours will be. I just don't think it's my guess. I just don't think he understood what he was really saying. I can't imagine. Actually, I can imagine. But after, you know, sort of the facts were laid out by this immunologist, Kismica. Corbett, who spoke to the entire team about the vaccine and the facts versus non-facts. I can't believe that anybody would come out of that thinking that you could get COVID and then the vaccination was like the therapeutic, not the preventative. No, no, no. There's a vaccination that prevents COVID. Um, You don't take the vaccination after you get COVID. You don't throw the seatbelt on after the accident and, and the accident just goes away. I'm giving him a slight benefit of the doubt that he either got mangled or was confused and the way it came out wasn't exactly the way people heard it. Well, that you can go ahead and do that if you want. I just did. So, 
I know. Yeah. You know, do you mean he maybe had difficulty in explaining himself despite having attended three colleges in his college career? You mean you're telling me that in one of those colleges he couldn't figure out how to understand a, a simple thing like what a vaccine does? It's what I'm saying. How is, many vaccinations do you think that he's had in his lifetime? What, I, I don't know the answer to that, but what I'm saying to you, well, I mean, there are certain vaccinations like rubella for rubella and measles when you're a kid that are pretty much, yes. you know, um, I, he didn't have the ability to have an opinion when he got those. I, I, I would just, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I don't think it came out of his mouth in the way that he intended it to. I think if, if I went to Montez Sweat right now and said, do you know the difference between a vaccine and medicine? Like, did, did you, like the vaccine is what you get before to prevent, and the medicine, the therapeutic, is what you use to treat it after you get it. Do you understand the difference? I, th- I have a feeling that he would. I don't know oh, that now, for sure. Now, after he's been raked over the cold no, for a day, I don't think of it can- course he figured okay. it out. All right, uh, what your overall reaction to Montez Sweat's um, uh, statements yesterday? Oh, look, I, I didn't get that worked up about it. I mean, I, there's, I mean, look at, uh, I mean, there's base, baseball players, there's there's basketball players, lots of these athletes. One thing, lots of these athletes are a little bit paranoid about what they put in their body. Yes. I mean, when it comes to everything. So I understand, you know, from an athletic viewpoint, it doesn't, it doesn't absolve him of intelligent thinking, but I understand it doesn't surprise me that athletes react this way. I just don't think they should have the option. I don't think the NFL should give them the option of acting this way. There are, work, there are places where you work in the United States right now where if you work for that company, you have to have a vaccine in order to You do have that to be vaccinated. For yes. various reasons. Right. Okay. So I, I would have no problem with, with the NFL forcing all their players, you know, unless there was some kind of medical condition, to be vaccinated. They're a private so, business. They uh, can do that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, but like, you know, a lot of these guys are, you know, distrustful of stuff. So, I mean, what, what are you going to do? I mean, you know... I mean, here's the bottom line. Here's, there's two bottom lines. One thing, it's a vaccine. It's not medicine. But here's the other thing. It's not just going to protect you. If you really give a shit about your teammate or your, your tra- or the trainer or anyone else that you come into contact with, it'll help protect them. But, you know, that, this, this doesn't come into the conversation. To. People just don't seem to get that or don't care. You know, you brought up something that actually I didn't give thought to, but I think it makes a lot of sense. I think athletes in general are very, very aware of what they should be putting into their body and what they shouldn't be putting into their body. Their bodies are their, you know, are their revenue producers. And, um, I, you know, it's there's a lot more care um, with professional athletes um, than there are with most average people. Um I think that that's actually a, 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 an interesting point and that they may be more um, apt to say, well, I'm 23 years old, I'm healthy, even if I get COVID, the chances that I get sick are slim and none. 
Um, I don't want to put this into my body. I think that's actually an interesting perspective I hadn't thought of. Um, I think a lot of young people, by the way, who aren't necessarily professional athletes think that way just based on understanding what the numbers are, like how improbable it is that if they get COVID, they'll get sick. Um, with that said, a couple things. Number one, remember, one of the reasons that Montez Sweat dropped in the draft is that there was a reported heart condition, some sort of underlying heart-related issue. I don't know what it was specifically, and I looked it up, um, but several teams actually you know, p- took him off the board um, because of the medical. Um, but, the, but Washington felt comfortable with the medical, and let's hope that it's not an issue for him. We certainly haven't seen it be an issue in the first two years of his career. And by the way, I don't even know whether or not some sort of underlying heart condition that may be relatively benign, but he has it, is an increase uh, in terms of getting sick, some sort of underlying, you know, um, medical condition that would make him more prone to getting sick if he got COVID. But I just wanted to uh, throw that out there because I remembered that um, uh, this morning. I think that overall, bottom line is their body, do with it the way they want to do with it. It's their choice on all of this stuff. However, but however, okay. Um, you you said that you know there are companies that require it and um and to a certain extent the NFL has required it actually of all employees and coaches yeah you know they're considered yes. tier one tier two and the players are tier three the tier one tier twos it is an it's 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 mandatory that they're vaccinated I mean do I, you I wonder think, do Del you Rio? think that's voodoo Jack. <laughs> You think that voodoo Jack yeah. would get a vaccine if he didn't have to? Yeah. I, so Del Rio's Absolutely Del not. Rio's vac- vaccinated. Um, I yes. I am not a I'm not a I'm not a vax shamer. Um, I, I'm not a I wasn't a mask shamer. I'm not in in that camp at all. Um, and and by the way, you know, in many ways, like about the mask masks. I think I've said this before with you. I think. If you're worried about people not wearing masks, get vaccinated. If you're vaccinated, don't get worked up about people not wearing masks. Uh, or, uh, uh, you know, so anyway, a different topic um, as it relates um, to this. I think the issue here is that in the NFL, like with John Rahm at the PGA last week, a non-vaccinated and unvaccinated player is must adhere to different protocol than a vaccinated player in the NFL per the rules. Unvaccinated players are still subject to contact tracing, meaning if they come in contact with somebody who's got COVID, they have to go into quarantine, which means they will miss practices and potentially games. Um, obviously, if they get COVID, they, they're going to be tested. Uh, vaccinated players will not get tested. Unvaccinated players will get tested. If John Rahm had been fully vaccinated, he would never have been tested. Even though, by the way, and I don't, I, I'm not sure everybody understands this. I think most people do. There's still a chance you can get COVID even if you've been vaccinated. The efficacy rates for the Moderna and the Pfizer's uh, vaccinations are like in the 95% range, and with the J and J, it's like in the mid to high 70s. So it's not a foolproof against getting COVID. What what they have told us, and hopefully what 
what they've explained to players in the Washington organization, which, by the way, Ron Rivera said that he thinks close to 50% of his players have been vaccinated, um, is that if you have the vaccination and you get COVID, you are so much less likely to get sick, seriously sick. It almost eliminates the possibility of getting seriously ill, even if you get COVID, if you've been vaccinated. But unvaccinated players are subject to different rules in the NFL than vaccinated players. So from a competitive advantage situation, the teams with a higher percentage of vaccinated players have less of a chance of losing players for practices and games. So one of the things that could be explained to Montez Sweat after you get him comfortable that the vaccination is not going to kill him or it's not going to make him sick is that, look, dude, you're one of our best players. If you're going to get tested, and by the way, it's more than that. They're, they're, they're not going to be able to interact with other players when traveling. No family and friends on the road. They can't eat in the cafeteria and hang out with the rest of the team. Weight room now uh, limits, capacity limits apply to them, not vaccinated players. Um, and so it's a little bit more uncomfortable and inconvenient to do your job if you are unvaccinated. But back to the competitive thing, the bottom line is we saw last year you know contact tracing that player's out or that player tested positive you know you won't even get tested if you're vaccinated you're going to be not only tested but if you are in a contact tracing situation you're going to be quarantined so 50 percent of your players if they're not vaccinated you, you you're going to have a chance there's going to be a pretty good chance that you're going to have players even though by the way Washington was one of the most successful teams in the league last year remember in terms of numbers of players I think they only had two positive tests all year Tommy and one of them was Matt Ioannidis who was already right. on no, you're right injured reserve they did a great job last year in protecting themselves but but the point is from a competitive standpoint before you know you, you know outside of the bigger larger conversation about you know vaccinated or not vaccinated he is putting his team and those that choose not to get vaccinated at a competitive disadvantage against teams that have a higher rate what did you tell me before the show that the raiders are near near 100% of all teams no no but here's here's the story I, Oh. Pro Football Talk posted this, uh, and it's according to a report in the Las Vegas Review-Journal. I remember the Raiders got in trouble a couple of times last year for violation of COVID rules. And the Ravens did, too. Uh, big trouble. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, according to this story, uh, the number of players vaccinated might be the best in the league. Uh, there may be competitive advantages for teams that get to 85% of their players vaccinated as the NFL is considering relaxing certain restrictions on team gatherings for teams that hit the 85% threshold. A report about the Raiders doesn't give a specific number of players who have been vaccinated, but if the Raiders lead the league, they'd have to have at least 65 players vaccinated, which is 72% of their off-season roster. So the Raiders, so obviously the coaching staff has seen, I mean, John Gruden has obviously seen the competitive advantages of leaning on his players to get vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, by the way, Ron Rivera today asked about the Montez Sweat stuff, which blew up as a national story yesterday, um, his comments. Uh, as did, I think, Sam Darnold's comments, too, because he um, is sort yeah. of anti-vaccination as well. But Rivera said about Sweat today after the final day of minicamp, he said he would still try to talk to Sweat about getting vaccinated, but he said he's not going to go at anybody and denigrate them just because they have a difference of opinion. You know, he said the young man has to make his own decision, closed quote. And um, the coach is very is very good and very careful in his public statements about things that could be dicey. He's very good at this. You know I what? Give him a lot of credit. You know what? For a guy that early last year was contradicting himself sentence by sentence in in, in post game press conferences, obviously he wasn't himself. He was battling cancer at the time. Right. Um, but I agree with you. I think part of it is just how he handled you know uh, you know this this minor situation of Chase Young not showing up for OTAs. Um, I, I think you're right. I think it look, I, I don't think I don't think they can come out and be critical of these players. I, I don't you know, they're they're it's not mandatory right now for players. Right. Yeah, by the way, I wonder if this was addressed at all in, in a CBA. I would imagine that it wasn't. Like can the NFL make it mandatory to be vaccinated for, you know, uh, a, a pandemic situation? I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. So that was Montez Sweat yesterday. Montez Sweat. Look. Oh, wait a minute. What? Here's an interesting story that Pro Football Talk posted. Uh, assistant coaches on at least four NFL teams are refusing to get the COVID-19 vaccine, the NFL Network reported. If they don't change their minds with the next week, they will lose Tier 1 status which means they won't be able to coach on the field or in meeting rooms and can't interact face-to-face with players. What does it mean with respect to coaching on Sunday? Well, I mean, it's the same thing. You can't coach on the field. Okay. You can't can't Can you coach from the box? Well, I mean, you can't be in meeting rooms. How can you coach? Zoom. Okay. I don't know. I, it, doesn't, no. it, doesn't, it doesn't say that. Okay. I guess they're figuring, you know, coaches wouldn't be stupid enough to carry this fight into, into uh, the playing season. Yeah. God, it's, it's – um... look, I give the team credit for, you know, bringing in, you know, a credible, you know, immunologist to speak to the team and provide them with information. You know, I mean, they deserve all the credit for that. I mean, at least they didn't have Del Rio get up and and try to explain the (laughs) benefits of it on Zoom. Um, And I do think, you know, I, 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 by the way, I think a lot of that probably comes from Jason Wright and his team. That's my guess. I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. Uh, And it was a smart move. All right. Uh, We got a couple of other things to finish up with, including the Nats um, and Barry Trotz advances to the conference finals for a second consecutive year. Uh, We'll get to all of that right after these words from our sponsors. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. 
But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Marshan trying to come up with it. Pellick's got it. Up the board. Sezikis want to get it. Peugeot for Clutterbuck. The empty net. Scores! Barry Trotz's New York Islanders for the second consecutive year into the final four of the NHL playoffs. Last year, if you recall, they beat Washington in the first round four games to one. Barry Trotz is now, since um, being run from Washington after winning the Stanley Cup in New York with the Islanders, he's won five playoff series. Washington's 0 for 3. Um, They haven't won one since they lost him. Let me just, before we get to the Trotz-Washington thing again, um, I watched this game last night, and Tommy, the crowd at Nassau County Coliseum for this game was one of the best I have heard in a long time on television. And it was described this way in a lot of the stories written, and the players commented on just how raucous it was. It was great. And I, I actually... Um, I actually did a poll today. We're, we're sort of required each day on radio to to do a Twitter poll. I voted in your I okay. voted in your poll today. You know, and you know, I basically you only have four options, uh, and I just said you know loudest, most raucous arena stadium in in the area that you've ever been in for a game, and I gave four options: FedEx Field, Cap One for a Caps game, Nats Park, and the Xfinity Center. A lot of people said if you'd put coal there. I would have voted for that one, but whatever. I my my intention, and I just didn't do it properly, was to say just a Maryland basketball um, home game, um, and um, and then we took calls on like the loudest, you know, the, the the memorable times you've been in a stadium or an arena for a sporting event that you'll just never forget how crazed it was, and uh, I I was watching that last night. There's something about. Well, New York in particular, which which we've talked about before, but the Islanders crowd, and I had Tark El Bashir on the radio show this morning. There's no celebrity, there's no corporate crowd. It's all hardcore, long time crazed Islander fans on the South Shore of Long Island, or just on Long Island in particular. And it it, it just it was so it was one of those games, and I know hockey, you know, home ice and, you know, seeds don't matter, but it was one of those games as I was watching early in that game, I'm like, they don't, Boston doesn't have a chance tonight. It was one of those arenas, I've been in, in, in arenas before, where you just feel like, oh my God, the opposing team has no chance in this building or in this stadium tonight. Um, and I loved watching it. And then on top of that, it just pleases me to no end that Barry Trotz is having this run of of success. Now, Tampa, I think, is a pretty big favorite in this next series. They lost to Tampa in the uh, conference semifinals last year. But, man, Barry Trotz, uh, you know, turns out not a bad coach, I guess. No. Barry Trotz is in the business of happiness. 
he is in the business <laughs> of providing <laughs> happiness. Yes, yes, he is. Now, now, you know, I'm I'm going in an area where I don't know very much, but that doesn't stop me usually. Yeah. Uh, that Islander fan base, the seeds of that fan base were were planted in a team that went that won four Stanley Cups in the seventies, right? In eighties, yes. yeah, in the eighties. So, I mean, you know, I mean, so they, they you have a, sort of like in their early days, and I don't know how long the Islanders have been a franchise. But in the relative early days, they were a successful franchise, and that goes a long way towards building the foundation for a lasting fan base. Sure. We've, we've seen here in Washington, uh, in particular, uh, with the uh, playoff games in the 70s and then the Super Bowls under Gibbs in the 80s. I mean, that's the foundation that has allowed them to last uh, as a fan base since 1992, of, of dismal performances. So it's no surprising that the Islands would have such a rabid fan base because they know what it's like to experience uh, joy as a fan base. Yeah. How do you explain the Cubs? The, the ballpark. It's got to be more than just the ballpark. That's the ballpark. Okay. I, I, I don't disagree with you. I think... You know, and I don't know when the Islanders became a franchise either. I'm I'm looking it up right now as we speak. Um, it looks like uh, it looks like 1972. Okay, and then okay. they won Stanley Cups in four consecutive seasons: 1980, 81, 82, and 83. And you know, it's funny because I remember those teams because those were the first Caps teams that started to go to the postseason. And they played the Islanders, you know, in so many of those first-round series. And, you know, it was Mike Bossy and, 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 uh, and, and the, goal, uh, the goalie Billy Smith, right, was the goaltender Billy that Smith. seemed to stone yeah. the caps all the time um, in the playoffs. But it's a really good point. I mean, the winning early on, relatively early on as a franchise, and becoming a dynasty, I mean, four consecutive is yeah. a dynasty. You know, I'm looking through right now the list of Stanley Cup champions. There really have been so many dynasties in that sport, which is ironic because it's a sport where the results seem to be so random all of the time in the postseason. And it is yet, ironic. It, it doesn't match up. But Scotty Bowman's Montreal Canadiens won in 76, 77, 78, and 79. And then the Islanders won in 80, 81, 82, and 83. They won four in a row. And then Edmonton, with obviously Gretzky, won four out of five years with Montreal sneaking in there. And then Pittsburgh with Lemieux started their dynasty. And then the Red Wings had a bunch of wins. Really, to be honest with you, it's been more in recent years where you haven't had necessarily a dynasty. The Penguins have won um, with, with Crosby three times. They've won three Stanley Cups. Um, and that's the most of like the last 10 years. The Blackhawks also had a run, too, of winning three cups as well. So the, the two of them are tied. But um, it's weird. Uh, I do remember those Islanders teams, and I remember, 
you know, listening to those games. I, I was actually into the Caps there for a brief moment when they were going to the playoffs for the first time. And it was new, you know, for us because we hadn't had hockey and we didn't know what right. ho- playoff hockey was. But you realized, well, playoff hockey is pretty damn exciting. Um, and of course, the four overtime, you know, Easter Sunday game of '87 against the Islanders in the seventh and deciding game that the, that the, the Caps um, lost. Um, but anyway, uh, back to Trots. Man, I looked this up this morning when I had Tark on the show. What what happened basically? And like you, I'm not going to speak like informatively or even intelligently about why they thought Todd Reardon would be a better coach, other than to say what the experts at the time said, which is apparently he contributed as much as Barry Trotz did, according to the people in the know. He was a better X's and O's coach, whatever. Um, He had a contract kicker that if they won the Stanley Cup, he would get an automatic two-year extension with an increase of $300,000 a year in salary. He was at 1.5, so that would take him to 1.8. Babcock was making $6 million a year. He was on the very low end of the coaching uh, totem pole in terms of salary, and $300,000 a year wasn't going to make much of a difference. So he wanted more money after winning the Cup. He had that contract kicker in there, and, you know, like I would imagine in a lot of these contracts, they're sort of throwaways. It's like, look, if we ever do win the Cup, I'm going to go in there and tell them, I, I, you know, I, we got to we got to do a new deal or I'm going to go somewhere else. Um, and he did technically resign but he resigned yeah. because they did not, um, you know, they did not agree on an extension, and he wouldn't take that extension. There was some reporting at the time that the Capitals weren't necessarily stuck the entire time on what the contractual commitment was, but it was their original posture. Their original posture was, sorry, you signed this contract. It's an automatic two-year extension. We we only have to pay you $300,000 a year more. They softened on that a little bit, but not, you know, it was probably a dollar short and, 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 you know, two weeks late on that. And he had already made up his mind to move on because they were penny-wise pound foolish early on. But one of the reasons they were that way is there was a feeling in the building among those brilliant people that Reardon was a better coach and that he had paid yeah. his dues and was ready to become the coach of the franchise, take it over and bring it to even loftier heights. Remember, Trotz was in trouble that year. They weren't going to bring him oh, back yeah. anyway. Yeah, um, he, was, he almost lost his job in November. Right. But the bottom line is now, in hindsight, they have to be embarrassed. They have to know they that they made a mistake. capable of shame. Maybe not. Yeah. They probably have a way of explaining it in their own minds and to oh, each I'm other. Sure, because they're, they're smart people. Like I wrote in my column a couple weeks ago, they had that Stanley Cup sitting on, that, on their desk, <laughs> and they said to each other, how hard can this be? Right. Well, <laughs> it, I mean, they had never gotten, had one before. And by the way, with <laughs> much better teams on paper, um, they didn't even come close. So they yes. should have known that it was a hard thing. They should have known. Yes. Uh, yeah. What did you want to say about the Nats nearly blowing it last night? Um, they had 
Uh, they had a lead late. Um, they blew it in the bottom of the 10th, and then they ended up winning a game against the Rays to snap a three-game stretch. Um, Kyle Schwarber was not in the leadoff spot last night. Trey Turner was there. What was that about, by the way, the other day with Schwarber leading off? I guess they're just trying to get people that can make contact with the ball at this point. Offensively, they're struggling, but go ahead. Yeah, they are. They're, they're struggling offensively. You know, I'm not, I'm not there every day, but apparently I am going to start going to games now that they are allowing vaccinated riders on the field before the games, <laughs> and they'll be able to talk to players uh, on the field and coaches and GMs. I mean, I haven't seen Dave Martinez or Mike Grizzo in person since February oh. of 2020, you know? And I'm not sure any other reporters can say the same thing. So, so I'm not really plugged into him as much. But, you know, Barry Saluga tweeted last night, he had a feeling from watching that game that, uh, that you know, it never comes down to one game, but he felt like the Nats had to win that game to save their season, to at least keep their season intact. That game last night against a good yeah. team? Yeah, because, I mean, they're, 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 they were uh, – in danger of of starting to go down a a a hole of of consecutive losing, uh, the fact that they were ahead and then blew the the two run lead, there was a sense, and I think Barry was right about this, that uh, it would have been a debilitating loss. How's that? As opposed to a must win, it would have the, the loss would have been debilitating and devastating for them. Speaking of Barry Faluga, uh, my favorite columnist for the Washington Post, uh, did you see the, the column he wrote about the D.C. Grace? I didn't. Oh, that's because you're too busy to read, and I'll get to that no, later. No, but, I, I, but, but, I read but, a lot. But, I, I, but, I don't read the Post. Yeah, I know. I, I, but, I know, I usually, but, but, but I usually read Barry, so I will catch up on it because I love Barry, too. Well, but go ahead. What did well, he write Barry about the wrote, Grace? Barry wrote a column specifically. Remember... Monet Davis? Yeah, the cheater. The, 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 no, 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 no. No. Monet Davis is the young girl from Philadelphia. Oh, oh, yes, 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 yes. Little, Little League, League World Series. Series. Right, right, right. Got it. Yes. Yep, I remember. I mean, she was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Yes, I remember. You know, became a national yep. star. What about her? You know well, she's working as an intern for the Grace. Oh, summer. awesome. Yeah, she goes to Hampton University. And she's working for the Grace, wow. and she's doing the color analysis on our internet broadcast. Who's doing the play-by-play? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Some uh, Craig, I forget his name. I forget his last name. Craig is. Well, you, I mean, uh, you, should internet, know, you, sh- you should know his last name, but you don't pay attention you know, to that stuff. I, I think I, 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 I pour a lot of blood out for this organization. Don't, don't bust me okay. well, about names. I, well, then I don't, don't bust know. me about not but, reading Barry's column. Well, I won't, but I'll bust you about something else. Okay. Uh, oh, boy. But, so Barry wrote a column about That's Monet good. Davis. It's a great column. I urge people to read it and mm-hmm. to come out to a Grays game. They're free maybe, to meet Monet. I'm sure you will Yeah. Uh, if, if you come out to Grays games. So uh, I just wanted to point that out to people to read that column. And maybe, Kevin, if, once you read Barry's column, I don't know, maybe you might have time for one of mine. I've, re- I've been reading your columns recently. Really? I read you the have? one about I read the one about Tommy Shepard and the Wizards the other day. Okay. Did you get do my you, message? Do you have another one? 
Is this another message about did I did I did I retweet it or not? Just tell me. I forget if I did or didn't. Everybody, everybody, raise your <laughs> hand out there if you think Kevin Apparently retweeted my column. Apparently, I didn't. Okay, my fault. <laughs> okay, and, fault. and this is this is a great thing in a way because now people <laughs> see what you're really like yeah. because yeah. of this. Okay. You know? Uh, you know, why don't you tell everybody what I'm really like so they actually don't get the wrong impression right now. <laughs> um, so Kevin is a guy. <laughs> Kevin is a guy. I'll, I'll, I'll put it very succinctly. Okay. Kevin is a guy that if you needed help, he'd be there for you. A guy you can count on. But uh, you have to ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I think as it relates to friends like you in my life, Sometimes I recognize trouble and with people like you often and reach out more than you would give me credit for. Um, I, I, I think it's odd that on June 9th that this game was so important, but I, I also think that sometimes during a season that's very nondescript, if not sort of disappointing, you're looking for like a moment that you can say at the time, this was the, the this was the win they needed. They blew a lead, but they held on and they won the game against one of the best teams in baseball. And then they got on this roll where they won 12 out of 15 games and they were right back in the division race. And it's like being able to call your shot long before it became the shot. And if you, if you miss on it, there's absolutely no downside on saying about the Tampa game last night, this was crucial, crucial, by the way, but again, what? I, I I mean I think the inference is what the damage would do as opposed to as opposed to getting on a roll. Lessening the damage in is a, a positive. positive way. Yeah. Huh? I just think it, there was a sense that it could send them spiraling. By the way, not you, necessarily the other direction. I don't know if you've been following this. I would assume that you are. But, man, there is a lot of discussion about Max Scherzer and whether or not he's going to be available um, to be traded for. I know. It's the nature of the beast. People, fans love to trade for prospects. They can't wait to do it. He's not a prospect. For a lot of reasons, it makes sense for Scherzer because he's not signed after this year. Right. I would hope the Nats could find a way to keep Max Scherzer, you know? I mean, he's an important uh, figure to sports in this town, and I would I would hope that the, that the two sides figure out a way for Max to finish his career here. I think that would be great, as opposed to the knee jerk reaction. Well, let's trade him for some young guys who we have no idea if they'll ever be anything. So, uh, speaking of young guys, Dan Coco, who uh, is you know works for Madison. He's been calling some of these games. Bob Car- Bob Carpenter has yeah. been off for a couple of days. He's actually going to be on the radio show. I think he's back calling the uh, the game tonight against the Giants at home. Um, but I've I've heard uh, some of Colco's calls uh, on the on this yeah, road he's trip. A good, he's a very talented guy. Good guy. Yep. Uh, he tweeted this uh, uh, a while ago about Juan Soto. Juan Soto has ten runs scored, eleven RBIs. And eleven walks on the Nats' nine-game road trip. Wow! He's just one of six players ever to put post a 10-10-10 line on a road trip of fewer than ten games. Wow! Now I know that's an obscure kind of stat, but the only people who have done similar are Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Frank Thomas, Julio Franco, and Mark McGuire. 
Wow. So we're watching I know. greatness with this kid, you know, and sometimes we need to stop and, and remind ourselves of that. Well, I hope last night was a bit of a springboard because they're going to enter a series here um, against uh, against San Francisco, um, and that team is a very good team right now. I mean, it's actually it's yes, fun. they are. Uh, what I will do, while I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sitting there watching cover to cover these Nats games, especially during the NBA playoffs, um, but it's usually on if a basketball game isn't. Um, I, I check in on, in particular, that National League West, which is loaded, right? Because it was supposed to be a Dodgers-Padres race. And really, the Dodgers were overwhelming favorites. But a lot of people thought San Diego would end up being a wild card team when all is said and done. And here are the Giants, very surprisingly, leading the division um, with the best overall record in baseball, uh, 15 games over 500. Um, and right now in the National League, by the way, just something to point out, you know, the National League East in terms of the overall winning percentage is the worst in baseball. Um, you've yes, got you've got the Mets atop the division, six games uh, over 500, and then every other team in the division has a losing record. It's still early, 54 games into this thing, so not even a full third. Well, actually – exactly a third actually at 54 games exactly a third um through the season um it's almost a, it's very likely that the national league east will produce the division winner as a postseason participant and that's it that the wild yeah, cards no are wild going, card coming yeah, out of there more likely than not no and that the wild card teams are going to come probably from the national league west maybe the two teams that finish second and third in that division, although the central division is pretty competitive with some winning teams, the Cubs, Brewers, and Cardinals yeah, as well. And, and uh, the, the bigger issue is Steven Strasburg, who yeah. is still not throwing. I know, nerves. And nerve is going to see a nerve specialist. Yeah. So uh, that's alarming. It is alarming. <laughs> and it, it's, just alarming. Sort of, it's just sort of so unfortunate. Somebody with his gifts and his talent, and by the way, the clutch gene, as we learned over the last few years, for him just to never, ever be right physically. Ever. And physically, he's a horse. I know. If you're up close to Strasburg, I mean, he is big and strong and just, I mean, just a guy who looks like he would never break down. I know. All right. um, Anything else? I got nothing else for you, boss. This was a very satisfying, enjoyable podcast. I thought I thought there was a menu of excellence that we um, yes. ticked off one by one, um, and it all tasted yes. great. So I appreciate you joining me for the meal. Uh, everybody have a great day. Back tomorrow.